Welcome to the Unfair Advantage podcast, where we will explore the unique experiences, skills, and abilities high performers bring to bear in their field. In each episode, we will unpack the guest's expertise and insights to help all of us develop our own unfair advantage. Welcome back to the Unfair Advantage podcast. I am so excited to be joined by Dr. Kenza Gunter today. Kenza, how are you? Hey, Alex, I'm good. How are you? I'm very excited to be here. I'm good. This is a highlight moment for me. We spend a lot of time together in different NBA spaces. It's not so often that we get to just have like one of our off the record conversations on the record and talk about all things sports psych. So this this should be fun. Um, Tell us a little bit about you so the audience can get to know you better. You've got a lot of roles and you wear a lot of hats. Yeah, but I'll keep it simple. I mean, I, you know, by trade, I'm a clinical and sports psychologist, which, you know, just to share what that means, I work in the areas of mental health and mental performance. I also like to throw in that I work at the intersection of culture and sport, because I think regardless of what we're talking about, we always have to consider culture and the context and, and how that impacts what we're talking about. And then certainly I primarily work in the world of sport. Um, as you know, but for your listeners have worked in private practice, have worked in collegiate spaces with high school athletes currently working primarily in the professional realm. And what I like to say is I feel like my role is to to walk with folks and and to try to help them get out of their own way, whatever that might look like. Um, And I I would say one of the other big things for me at the moment, um, and I'm sure we'll dive into it, is to humanize this conversation about mental health and, and performance. I think a lot of times we talk about mental health and think about certain things. We talk about performance, we think about skills, but at the core of all of that are people. And so really wanting to make sure that as we continue to talk about how to elevate health, wellness, and performance, we keep people at the center of those discussions. So that's a little bit about me. Thank you very much. Well, I want to start there. I want to start with people at the center. And you mentioned in in your introduction, a lot of the work you've done around culture, diversity, equity, inclusion, broadly speaking. Can you, I guess, talk to us a little bit about how you first started in that work and how it's evolved and what it means now for the work you do on a regular basis? Yeah, so I guess the the start of it really starts with the origins of how I identify. So I identify as a Black female, also cisgender, um, heterosexual Christian, and, and I'm born and raised in the South here in the United States, and I think Southern is an identity too. But I, I say all that because thinking about who I am as a cultural being, how I show up in the world, how that shapes my experiences and, and creates the lens that I use to see the world, but also thinking about how when people see me and and they ascribe their own ideas about what my cultural identity is, how that impacts how they treat me, how they engage with me, um, and how how all of that together impacts our experience, right? So to your question of how did I start, it's just kind of being really more tuned into who I am, right? And and trying to focus on that self-awareness and an understanding of how that impacts how I move in the world. Um, I think as it relates to my work, it just makes sense that if I'm thinking about my identities, I'm also curious about the identities of others. And so over the course of my career, it's just become this idea. We can't really talk about things outside of context, right? And who we are and how we identify is a part of that context, right? Whenever I talk about mental health, I like to say we're impacted by the things that happen in us, to us, and around us, right? And so all of that speaks to context. And so um, just thinking about the culture, thinking about identity, thinking about the environment and the intersection of all of those elements, I think is key uh, to humanizing the work that we do 
um, and not becoming remote or just kind of engaging in an autopilot type way. Yeah, I appreciate this a lot. And I think the comment around self-awareness is super important. And, and then obviously understanding who you are and how you show up and what you bring to each work context mm -hmm. is super important too, especially for the work we do directly with coaches and athletes. And so I know I've had the opportunity to do things like present with you at conferences mm -hmm. um, where you've led some pretty dynamic discussions. What might be something you would recommend for people to start thinking about or something for people to try if they wanted to gain a deeper understanding of how their own culture influences the way that they move through a sports space, whether it's as a coach or an executive, I think this is an, an area that tends to get um, maybe like sometimes blown by or we don't pay as much attention to it as we probably should in the busyness of the sport world, but I think could make a huge difference for people who are really trying to understand how they show up. Yeah, I think we we don't really engage in a lot of introspection, to your point, right? I think we're always looking outward and thinking about how we can shift the things around us without starting with well, what's going on inside of me. So to your question, I mean, I can, in terms of resources, like I'd really have to think about that and can share some after this that you can share with your audience. But I think, you know, we're aware of some things for ourselves already. So I think it's just pausing and like saying, like, how, how does who I am as a person impact how I view the world. I think in the world of sport, one of the cultural demographic variables that comes up the most is age. Like I cannot tell you how many times I've heard coaches say these kids, quote unquote, are not like we were when we played. Um, or, you know, the, the athletes will say the same thing, right? Like the, the coaches, they may feel, depending upon what age they ascribe to them, they may feel like they're out of touch or they have an old school philosophy. And I think that's one of those demographics is thinking about age, not as something that's a barrier, but as it's, it's a way of understanding the world. And when you think about age, it's not about you need to think like I do and I need to think like you do, but we need to figure out how to meet in the middle so that we can communicate better. And I think that's really the, the piece about all these cultural identity factors. So if you think about how do I identify, just what comes up for you, right? And then pause and say, and what am I missing? Like, what do I not have to think about? Because I think that's important too, right? In naming some of my identities, one of the things I didn't say was ability status, because I don't, I don't have to think about that. I am an able-bodied person. And so I don't have to think about how that impacts my world. So I think it's pausing and simply, how do I identify from a cultural perspective? How does that impact how I view the world or how I think the world views me? And also pause to say, what, am, what do I not have to think about? I think that's a good starting point, just to pause. And like I said, I'll share some additional resources um, after this conversation, but just taking time to ask a question about yourself is a great way to engage in a process of, of learning more about yourself. I love that. And, and I think especially in sport where we sort of look at athletes in particular, obviously, as role models. Um, and I think in many ways, like expect really, you know, still young people, young athletes to have incredibly deep and rich opinions about things that they may or may not have an opinion about or have had education around. I think um, starting with ourselves is, is really important, mm -hmm. um, and is a good way to model for them, like what it looks like to better understand what they think and, and how they move through a space. Yeah. yeah and, treating that, and treating that self-awareness, like the skill that it is, right? Like we can talk about the skills of goal setting and mindfulness and self-talk and all that, but having a level of self-awareness and developing that self-awareness and also trying to have an understanding and an appreciation for others those are skills that are foundational really to anything else that we're trying to do. 
Absolutely. So let's let's talk about one of our shared passions because yes. I think it's directly related to this self-awareness, okay. which is coach health and high performance. I, mm. I think you and I have talked a good bit about general kind of sport practices and how it does or does not sport broadly as a culture mm-hmm. uh, support coaches in their journey for health and high performance. Start us off like where are you at with that? What is sport doing well? What is it not doing so well? And where can we improve? I mean, I think over over the the history of sport, I mean, primarily it's been focused on the outcome and the performance, right? I think one of the things that we are starting to do a bit better, and we have been doing this for a while, is kind of trying to look at what goes into creating a successful performance. Like, what are the ingredients of that? Um, And I think we've thought about things like training and nutrition and physical conditioning and things like that. I think what we're we're improving and thinking about the mental aspect of that. And I truthfully think that the last almost three years has forced us to also think about the relationship between health and performance, right? So we've always been interested in what contributes to successful performance, what makes athletes quote unquote great. We've thought about all these factors and I think now we're getting down to the core of it, right? Like health. I like to believe if you have a healthy person, you're more likely to have a healthy performer that can show up and do the things that might lead to a successful performance. And so I think when I think about coaches in particular, we do a really good job of giving coaches jobs to do, right? We want them to be everything. We want them to be coach. We want them to be mentor, advisor, instructor. We want them to do all of these things. And don't get me wrong, it's a huge responsibility to be a coach. I mean, you have other people's lives in your charge and in your care. But what we have not done well with at all is to talk about the importance of focusing on the health of our coaches as well. Sport is demanding, right? The schedules that that people are asked to keep in order to participate are demanding. We really need to do a better job of talking about coaches' health and wellness as a foundation for their performance, for their athletes' performance, for the culture of their team, but really thinking about the person at the center of the coach in the same way that I think we have really increased our attention on the person of the athlete. You and I could not agree more about this, but maybe at some point I'll have to argue the opposite just for fun. <laughs> I, I think, you know, what, what you're sharing like really resonates for me as a former coach, thinking about some of the assumptions that we make about coaches just because of the position that they're in, right? We assume that they're, they are leaders. We assume that they are healthy because of the space that they're in. We assume that these wouldn't be issues in in much of the same way we made, I think the same assumptions about athletes for a really long time, right? We just sort of seem like for them to be out there, everything must be okay. And Mm -hmm. now we're, we're uncovering that that may not be the case, unfortunately, in some like pretty public ways, right? With coaches Mm -hmm. stepping down, um, early in many instances, coaches talking Mm -hmm. about burnout and whether or not they want to return after winning a Super Bowl. Like there's so much happening in this space. That's sort of like a a cry for change, but Mm -hmm. systemically it's pretty hard to to do. And there's a lot that needs to be done around education and changing the system more broadly. But before we jumped on offline, we were talking about the role of the coaches health and high performance and creating that system or that culture. And so Like, why does it matter? Why does it matter for a coach to show up and model these things for the rest of the organization? They set the tone for the organization, right? Like they set the tone for the team, right? The coach is, to your point, whether they have learned about leadership and been developed as a leader or not, they are seen as the leader. 
And so their word carries a great deal of weight. Their actions carry a great deal of weight. And so they set the tone for the team in terms of what folks feel is acceptable, what they feel is expected, what they feel is okay for them to do, okay for them to ask, and also what, what's not okay, right? And so I think that's why it becomes really important is because in terms of the role that they play within the organization and the team, it's huge. They also serve as gatekeeper. So depending on where they are, they influence who else is allowed to come in and have access to their team. And I'm talking about different resources, whether they whether they bring in a mental performance consultant to offer additional assistance, whether they bring in a mental health professional to offer assistance, right? Like whether they even have a wellness room in their training facility, right? The coach really can have that impact. And I know right now I'm talking about the role that they serve on the team, but it's also important, let me back up, because they're a person. And we want people to be healthy. And as we think about, like I said, there's always been an equation to success and performance. I think we have to expand that equation though and look at it beyond um, just what can be done externally, but like, what do I need to do internally to help boost my own internal performance that allows me to show up? And so, yes, the role they play and the influence that they have on the people around them, but also because we want them to be healthy too. We don't want them, as you just mentioned, to burn out early, right? To, to have tattered relationships because they're not in a place where they can manage their personal and professional responsibilities in ways that allows them to show up fully in both places. Like we want them to be healthy too. There's so much in here to unpack. And what always comes up for me in these conversations is a few things. So one is coaches have this like strong desire, broadly speaking, to be in control of a lot of the system, Mm -hmm. which often means, you know, potentially being in charge of things that they don't have a background or training in. It means having influence or wanting influence in some of those spaces. And then simultaneously, sometimes not wanting to touch it at all. Like I think mental health is a great example, right? We want to know everything that's going on and how every guy is doing, but we don't really want to talk about it. it. Yeah. And, And so, you know, I think it's interesting to me, the, the conversation around coach well-being, because as particularly like NCAA policy has expanded to give mm-hmm. head coaches an absurd amount of responsibility in terms of oversight, right? Like you're supposed to know yeah. every single thing that happens in your program, which is just not humanly possible. It's unrealistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then simultaneously, like that's kind of what coaches were asking for, but it's not realistic. And as a result, there's some like kind of pushback and saying it's too much, but then they want the information, but they don't want to deal with it. It's just a complicated web. And so, yeah, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Let's start there. (laughs) You know, you brought up some words, as you were talking, some words came up that I, 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 that resonated with me in terms of thinking about, I mean, yeah, like let's think about coaches, right? Like they are expected to know everything and control, and they're expected to be in control of everything. And and as humans, one of the ways that we like to feel like we're in control is when we have knowledge. So yes, I want to know everything so I can control everything so I can try to dictate the outcome of everything, right? And and I know that's a generalization, like don't get me wrong, but I do think there's an absurd amount of pressure that that is placed on coaches. And I imagine that they internalize, let's be real, coaches in and of their own right are competitive. They too are performers. They want to do well. They want to be viewed favorably, right? So all of this, all of this is a perfect stew for some unhealthy behaviors, some unhealthy tendencies, and, and from for some exaggerated behaviors that might not translate to health, right? And so, I mean, I think we just have to name some of that though, right? Like we gotta, first we gotta name it. It's not just 
well, what are coaches doing? It's like, no, coaches are in a system and they're trying to survive in the system like everybody else. The system is not necessarily set up to give them room to ask for help or to give them room to, to not be quote unquote perfect, right? To give them room to figure it out before they're expected to be excellent, right? And so I think we have to name, again, when we talk about health, wellness, and performance, it does not just rest in the individual, but it is a product of what's happening at the intersection of the individual and their environment, right? And so I think, um, back to the question you asked earlier, what's one of the things that sports is doing well, not doing well that we need to work on? I think we need to look at health, wellness, and performance as not just a function of the individual, but also a function of the environment. I think that's one of the ways in which we're moving. And one of the ways which we might be able to better support coaches is to not just ask them to do more or less, but to try to create an environment that allows room for them to thrive differently. Yes. And I want to double down on this because this is like one of the things that I feel personally would really move the needle, which is sort of like when I think a lot about coaches and some of what's leading to the burnout, I do think a big part of it is like the role has just expanded in a way that is almost like it, it cannot possibly main, be maintained. Right. It's and not, It's impossible. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, there's so much going on. And so, you know, when I think about working with an athlete, for example, right, when that happens, like, what do you do? Well, you tend to return to like the basic things, right? Mm -hmm. What can you actually control? What do you do? Well, what are your strengths? How do we leverage that? And many coaches, especially those who emerge into the role of head coach, sort of get like nudged out of the things that they actually love doing, right? Like, I loved calling plays, or I love designing the offense. And now, instead of doing that, I don't have time to watch film, because I'm going to media, or I'm doing this event. And so the role, like really changes. But one simple way to me that it seems like we could reposition some of this and make the system work better, would be, it sounds bad, but maybe to take some of that away from coaches, right? Not, not in a sense of punishing them, but to say, like, look, let's let some of the expertise we have internally, carry some of that for you. You don't have to be responsible for this. Like we can hand this over to someone else so that you can spend more time doing what you love. You can spend more time on the X's and O's and let, let the mental health professional help the players, let the mental performance consultant work on the mental skills in conjunction with the coach and partnership but together versus like, you've got to do it all. Yeah. Maybe that's too fine. Absolutely. Like use the team that's around you. And, and it's funny when you said like, I'm not saying this in a bad way, but take some of them, take some of the stuff from them. When you were listing off some things, I was like, we also have to help them let things go, which is, I think, right in line with that idea that you're talking about. Um, the other word that came up to me was choice and having some autonomy as you, as you just uh, clearly stated, we've added more and more and more and more responsibility. We have not altered um, the time off and the time for recovery and rest. We've also not altered the expectation for excellence. Like that too has been ratcheted up. We certainly haven't created more time in the day to do all of this, right? And so that's what you, then you get an unsustainable, unrealistic equation. But I do think if there's a way to maybe create a system where coaches have a bit more choice and and maybe, and I know it's gonna sound strange to some people to say, coaches don't have autonomy, like they run the show. But to your point, when there's so many demands pulling on them, For them, it can feel like that what is perceived as choice from the outside looking in can just feel like responsibility and expectation that I really can't get away from. And so one of the things that contributes to burnout is feeling like you have too much work, first of all, and no autonomy in your workplace. So if we can find a way 
to shift those things, we might find ways to decrease some of those experiences of burnout. Yeah, I think this is a super important point because I do think we tend to assume, especially from the outside looking in, like coaches get paid well and so everything must be great and they signed up for this. And it's like, well, kind of, but I'm not sure that any coach signed up for like, hey, you have 18 months to figure this entire thing out and go from zero to 100. And if you don't, you're going to be without a job and you're going to have to move your family again and your kid's going to change school for the fourth time in three years. And you're going to have to go call your friends and beg for an opportunity again and hope that it works out for you. And will you ever be in the same position again? Like it unravels pretty quick. Yeah, but but also we all sign up for a job, right? Like people listening, anybody who comes across this, you and I, like we signed up for jobs and we we likely enjoy some aspects, I hope, of the job that we do, right? But in signing up for a job and signing up for a challenge and being willing to face and take on a challenge doesn't mean that we signed up to not feel supported or we signed up to not have days off or we signed up to not be allowed to take care of my health or not be allowed to prioritize my family in moments when I need to do that, right? I think that's where the equation falls short, right? It's like we say, oh, we we try to equate position and what looks like status and success and money and all of that. We try to say that that, if you have that or some combination of that, you should be happy. You should not have stress. But look, we sign up for a lot of things in life. And if anybody has lived for one moment, you know, life will give you some stuff that is very unexpected, right? And so again, we sign up for challenges. Yes, we want to face challenges. I'm one of those people. I love a good challenge. But but signing up to tackle challenging scenarios does not mean that I'm also signing up to never have support, to never take a break, to never be able to pause, to, to have to be perfect to never um, be able to say, this is a lot. Like I didn't sign up to lose who I am as a person and to lose um, my ability to state what I need and what I want, which may be different than what I'm doing. Thank you for that. That is spot on. And I wanna, I wanna talk a little bit about the system that you're talking about creating. Cause I do think that's directionally correct, right? Like I think the more time that we can spend preventing mental health concerns, burnout, stress, other issues at an organizational level, the better everybody else is going to be, right? Just in general, you'll have less stress. I'm curious what you would recommend as a starting point. Like, it sounds hard to think about rewiring this entire system. Because it is, we get, we get locked into what's familiar and what we're comfortable with and what has quote unquote worked depending on what our outcome is defines whether or not it's actually worked or not. But, but yeah, it's hard to think about changing the system because everybody does it. Right. And this is what you're supposed to do in order to be successful. But I mean, I think it's a good question. Like two of the first things that come to mind for me are psychological safety, right? This idea that you can go into your workplace and trust that it's a safe place for you to engage, interact, share your thoughts, share your concerns, share your successes without fear of retaliation or without fear that all that's going to be used against you. So feeling like you can actually show up and be yourself in your workplace. Um, And the other word that comes to me for is thinking about how rest and recovery are a part of a performance and a success plan and not something separate from it. Because I think that's one of the biggest things that I hear is people feel overloaded like they just don't have enough time to do all the things on their plate 
or they're just constantly doing something, right? And they're not valuing um, the process of intentional rest and recovery as a function of increasing performance. And so I think if we can make sure that 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 spaces are safe for folks to come in and and when I say be yourself, like no, you might not bring your entire full self to work. I don't know if any of us really want to do that. Like there may be some parts of yourself that you want to reserve for outside of work and that's completely healthy and, and appropriate. But thinking about coming in and being able to talk about what's working in the system, what's not offering suggestions, giving feedback without fear that that's going to be used against you without feeling like you're walking on eggshells and that there are unspoken rules that govern your behavior that allow you to shrink and kind of just fall in line instead of actually trying to show up and, and help improve the system. So psychological safety, and then how do we integrate rest and recovery in a more tangible um, and intentional way? I, I, I hear one, like need to be able to be honest, right? Which I think is just part and parcel of any like high functioning culture, right? And psychological and safety is part of that. Honesty and communication. I would say that those two go together for me for that piece, like that bi-directional communication and feedback loop that's constantly happening. I like that good refinement. And then the the other one, like for me, when I think about rest and recovery as part of this, I think people miss that without the recovery part, you do not get good adaptation from stress. Like it okay. just does not happen. So if the whole point of all of this, like if the whole point of physical training, of extra training, of doing the work is to actually get better. Mm -hmm. You will not get better without recovery. It does exactly. not happen, right? And so it's like, it's a very, it seems like it should be an easy win, but it's it very culturally like against the grain in the sports space and just tangentially, like, I don't know if you've ever read the book, Do Nothing by Celeste Headley. I'm like 70% deep. It's a super interesting deep dive into the evolution of like the American work ethic, essentially, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how we've come to equate like, time is money and associate more time with being higher value and how that's yep. all conflated our sense of work. And as I'm listening to it, all I can think about is like, this is 1000% sports. This is everything sports values is time on the clock, man hours, productivity, even if none of it actually matters. Right? Let's actually, and let's actually think about a sporting event, right? You are given an opportunity to warm up right? You do your warm up. you get your body ready to go, you start the game, you play. There are timeouts, there are extended breaks, there are pauses in the action, there are, uh, well, let's stay with basketball, there's a whole halftime designed for you to pause and take a minute before you come back and continue competing, right? We do not, in sporting events, start and just go. Like, there are breaks and pauses, rest and, and recovery is integrated into the event itself. Right. And so it's fascinating to me that in the business of sport, we think work, 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 grind, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. But in the actual participation of it, it, it includes more of those factors that allow us to perform like rest, recovery, pauses, breaks, like substitution so that everybody's not playing every minute of every game. Right using the team we do those things in the event it would be helpful to adopt some of that to how we run the business around the sporting event as well 100 percent. this is one of my best arguments which is that i think like the first team that treats everyone in the organization the same way they treat the athletes will have a massive competitive advantage like that means prioritizing nutrition prioritizing sleep 
prioritizing exercise, prioritizing mental health, all the things that we're doing for yep. the athletes, because we actually believe on some level that this matters for the product on the court or on the field. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- why does that not extend to everybody else here? <laughs> Absolutely. Missing? Again, everybody that we're talking about is a person. And we need to focus on the health of people. Now, exactly what people need to promote health for themselves might be a little different, but the general factors of it are the same, right? Like it's it's just, um, it's so fascinating how we can be intentional in one aspect and kind of not apply those same principles broadly with everybody that's working in the system. Yeah, it's one I still don't understand, but I want to throw in a couple other sure. things that I would think about for the system piece, get your yes. feedback. And I want to keep keep pushing on that. So one of the things that I think is most helpful in starting thinking about that too, beyond I love the psychological safety and the rest and recovery, and maybe mine's like attached to the rest and recovery is questioning assumptions, right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone comes into the sport context with some basic sort of assumptions of like, this is the way that we do things around here. This is the way it's always been done. And like mm-hmm. my argument for all that stuff is like, okay, well, if you want to like do it how we did it in the sixties, like, do you also want to give up your color TV and do you want to give up your computer? <laughs> right? Like it's just right. not a super logical argument taken to the extreme. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a really helpful place to start. And, and I think assumptions are embedded in places that we don't often look right. So simple things as, as little as like, when do we travel? What time do we leave? When mm-hmm. time do we land? What does it mean to start practice at this time versus that time, I think those things can actually end up making a pretty big difference. Absolutely. And I don't, we don't even have to go as far back as the 60s. Like, I just think about the year of 2020. How many, you and I could talk about it, but I wonder how many people listening changed some aspect of their life pretty quickly because they had to, not because they wanted to, not because they decided, you know what would be cool? I'm just going to stay at home and work right? Or I'm going to stay at home and teach my kids, right? Like, I think that year, and certainly subsequent years since, put us in a position where our norm was disrupted beyond our control. And we had to figure it out, right? So to your point, the assumptions, and I'll just share one for me, as I said at the outset, clinical and sports psychologists, I used to do all of my work in person, all of my sessions, all of my team sessions, all of my group work, all of my consultations, everything was in person because it's the relationship. I need to see them. I need them to see me. Like, that's the way I feel like we can be most productive in our time together. And in March of 2020, I said, well, which telehealth platform is the most secure and is the most affordable and is the most accessible because that meeting in person was no longer the safest option from a health standpoint. And so we had to do something different. So to your point about questioning assumptions, sometimes we're not forced to question assumptions until something in the system changes that forces us to question, is there another way to do this? But I love the idea of, can we just ask that question on a regular basis as a way of evaluating our system? Is what we're doing working? And and is it working again? Is dependent upon what is the outcome you're striving for, right? Um, and can we do this differently? Can we do it more efficiently? Like another example comes to mind is the eight hour workday. Sure, I could go somewhere from eight to five, but I could probably do the same amount of work from eight to two, you know, or from 10 to four. You know what I mean? Like, so can we think about um, ways to input more flexibility into the system that don't sacrifice productivity, right? And so I, that's when I hear that question assumptions, that's what comes to mind for me. Can we create more flexibility, more option, give folks more autonomy without sacrificing productivity, um, which actually might allow people to be more bought in and more committed because you're playing to their strengths more than some 
undefined rule or expectation that the same way has to work for everyone. You are stealing my thunder on my last two <laughs> recommendations, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put them out there anyway. Um, which so so one of the the next two is uh, reflect right. Like sports is such a fast paced space. We very rarely pause to be like, hey, was that okay? Like, did right. that did that actually work? Did we get what we were hoping for? Mm-hmm. Um, because we just sort of assume that we've got the answer or this is the way things have always been done or this is what everybody else in whatever league is doing. Sure. Um, but failing to ask those questions, I think is problematic. And I, I had uh, Dr. Joe Baker on the podcast not too long ago, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how reflection was basically like the single most important differentiator for elite performance. Like self-regulated learning is great, but what we find is that the, the people who actually like pause to think about anything sure. are the ones who have the biggest gains. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of intuitive, right? It makes some sense. But even when I heard that, I was like, that's wild to think about because this almost never happens in our space. And then- yeah. The last one was you, you positioned it much more beautifully than I would have in terms of like the work style and the flexibility, but it's like data, right? Like we just know this is, it's not up for debate anymore. We know that people in a 40 hour work week are not working 40 hours. Like they're Correct. not, it's just yep. not what's it's happening. Not happening. It's not and happening. People are bringing homework more than they've ever brought work home. People are doing more Christmas shopping at work than they've ever been doing in the history of work. And so we just need to be honest about that, which is like, you've got large scale studies from Belgium and France and England that show a four day work week is just as productive or more productive than a five day work week. And so I just find that stuff sort of like important to factor into all this. It may or may not be realistic, right? Especially in some spaces, you know, like in the NBA, you got games. It's basically yeah. Every day. I so. was just thinking that. I was like, certainly the idea of a, a Monday through Friday, you know, five day work week does not work in most sporting spaces, right? And so certainly understanding that, but I, I don't think that undermines the point that you're making. And the point being, just because we've always done something this way does not mean we have to continue to do it this way. And it also does not mean it's the best way to do it. Truly, in the same way that if you have, if you call the play. And your play, and that's your scheme. That's the offense that you're running at the start of the game. And it's not working. What do you do? You either call a timeout or from the sidelines, you indicate we need to do a different play, right? In football, you call an audible. You're like, nope, what we're trying to do is not going to work. Let's call an audible and do something different, right? It, and that's the flexibility that we're talking about. If we can do it in the moment of the performance, let's think about how we can integrate that in the creation of the system, right? In a way to help create a healthier system. And so, no, there is no such thing as a five-day work week. You and I don't have five-day work weeks, right? We're in the world of sport. But what we do is is try to reflect and see, is is what I'm doing working? Is what they're doing working? Is it not, right? And and I would also say, as you were talking, one of the things that came to mind for me is we don't don't really pause and reflect. Um, But I I also don't think we, we do two things. Ask athletes, about whether or not what we think is working is working, right? We don't get their feedback, which is really important to do. Like, yes, you are coaching and leading your athletes, but they're also, they can be co-collaborators and and co-participants in creating the space and the culture. In fact, they have to be, right? Because they're the ones that carry the culture as well. Um, But the other thing that I don't think, and I just lost my thought because I was saying too much about that point, but it'll come back to me. But but we don't, we don't, oh, we don't view, told you, it's coming back. We don't view experience as 
being uh, a type of data that's as valid as like stats and numbers. And I think that too is something that we need to think about because you can say, well, if I have you on this training plan, you're supposed to be increasing your capacity to, to run or your capacity to stretch or your capacity to lift by a certain amount. But if that's not what's actually happening in that person's experience, we can't devalue experience because it doesn't match up with our numbers when we think about data. So those are the two things that I wanted to say. Um, ask for athletes feedback. Like they are co-collaborators in this whole system. They're, they're participants and they have a voice and a perspective that should be valued. And experience is also an important data point. And to double down on your second point there, there have been a number of studies now that have kind of pointed this out specifically, like basketball players specifically who are practicing tend to make better decisions watching someone else playing basketball than people who have not played or are not playing. And there was one really fascinating study where they put rowers in a boat and had them row Mm -hmm. and then put people in a boat next to them driving and coaching them and had them estimate the rowboat speed and the rowers were closer than the people with a speedometer in the boat, right. which is wild. Mm-hmm. So we've got a couple minutes left. Let's, let's dream. Like okay. what, what would you love to see happen in the next five to 10 years to make sport a healthier, higher performing place? Oh, Alex, that's a huge question. Um, and I don't know if I have a good answer. I'll be honest. And that's probably bad, right? Because we've spent this whole time talking about um, what do we want and what do we think is present and what do we think is missing. And, and so if we were, if I was to dream and say, what do I want things to look like? Um, I, I, I guess this is more of a philosophical approach. The how-to, I think, it certainly needs more fleshing out. I, I would want health, holistic health mental health, physical health, um, social and relational health. Like I would want health to be viewed as truly a foundation to wellness and performance. And with that belief in place, I would hope that that would translate to the resources that folks have available on their teams, the way that systems um, and teams are set up, not only for the players, but for the coaches, for the staff, that we would really prioritize health as a pathway to performance rather than keeping them all separate and and treating them as though they're not related at all. Um, I think that's like from a theoretical standpoint, that's what I would like to see. And and again, I feel like if, if health was prioritized, mental health in particular, mental performance um, was prioritized I think you would see that reflected in um, the way that teams set up their teams and the way that teams identify resources and you would see it in what they prioritize. That's one of mine too. That's one of the things I'd love to see happen is more of an infrastructure and ecosystem for particularly the people around the athletes. I, Mm -hmm. I think we've got really robust and get progressively deeper support for the athletes. I mean, there are teams now with, three dietitians and two biomechanists and engineers and yep. you know five analytics people mm-hmm. looking at it from different angles and that's all good like that's mm-hmm. all in service right. of optimizing what happens on the court uh, but I think this emphasis on what's going on around the court is also super important from mm-hmm. 
how front office people rest to make better decisions to how coaches recover so that they can be their best self on game day. Like, I think all of that really matters. What, what do you see being like the biggest barriers to us getting there? Um, A lack of creativity and a lack of um, curiosity about what's possible beyond what we see and what we know and what we're familiar with. I mean, I think that's that's the biggest thing. Um, there was a point I wanted to go back to those as I was talking and, and you were sharing your thoughts around like having these ecosystems shift, not just for the athletes, but for everybody, right? What came to my mind was absolutely because we're all out here living real lives. Like we're talking about the world of sport, right? But we are all living real lives. And, and I, I feel like we would be remiss not to talk about this in the context of where we are right now. Like, right, we are in December of 2022. Right. There are some days where in my mind, I'm like, wait, it was just January 2020 yesterday. And it feels like the last two, almost three years have been somewhat of a blur. That's real. That's not people um, kind of blanking out on what's happening or forgetting what's happened. That's because we have been in a sustained, unprecedented, a, a sustained time in an unprecedented moment that's been characterized by trauma and loss and uncertainty and challenge and it's impacted health for all of us it's impacted performance for all of us right and so and i'm not just talking about work performance i'm talking about life right because again while we're talking about working in the world of sport and what happens coaches and athletes and what we do in our professional spaces again i say it we are also living very real lives and so i think as i talk about my hope for the future being one where health is prioritized, I think it's because prior to that, I didn't see health being prioritized as much. My fear is, is that as we adjust to whatever the new next is, that we will revert back to old patterns and old tendencies and old ways of being, which I think, again, will have us not prioritizing health. And so I really hope that if there's something that sticks from all of the everything that we've had to navigate over the last three years. My hope is that it's health is not something that's fleeting. Health is something that that is true for all of us. Mental health, fun fact, we all have it, right? And so we all need to think through how we can proactively take care of ourselves in that area as a component of us taking care of our health in general, if we want to be able to show up in our lives in the ways that we want or perform. Mic drop, we're done. That was awesome. Dr. Kenza Gunter, thank you so much. Where can people find you, follow you, learn more about your work and what you're up to? So they can follow me on Twitter. It's probably the easiest way, um, at Dr. Kenza. So D-R-K-E-N-S-A is where you can find me there. I'm also on LinkedIn. If you type in my name, it should come up. Uh, Kenza Gunter, it should just pop up. I also have a website. Um, There's not a whole lot there in terms of a lot of content, but if you want to know a little bit about my background, my philosophy, you can find some of that there. And that's... um, www dot at uh, not at dot com. That's where you can find my website. Dr. Kenza Gunter, thank you again so much. This was awesome. No, Alex, the pleasure was mine. Thank you so much for the invitation. Always, always a treat to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unfair Advantage podcast. You can learn more about the work we're doing helping high performers develop their own unfair advantage at our substack at unfair 
adv.substack.com.